Welcome once again to our REBT podcast, uh, where we discuss rational emotive behavior therapy, REBT, formulated by Dr. Albert Ellis, the brilliant psychologist uh, who was around in the late 50s, 1955 on, and who's written over 80 books on rational emotive behavior therapy. And the main premise here is our emotions come from our thinking about situations, not from situations themselves. And that's a very powerful idea because if your emotions come from your thinking and you don't like your emotions, then look into your thinking and see if that can be changed or especially made more realistic. And the uh, thinking that leads to anxiety, depression, anger, procrastination, addictions, and relationship problems consists of thinking in terms of musts and shoulds. I must do well and get approval or else I'm no good. You must treat me well or else you're no good. And my life must go fairly easily and comfortably or else my Life is no good. So if you have one of those problems, then look for your must. And what we do uh, as REBT uh, practitioners, we question, challenge, and contradict the must because musts are always fictions. There's nothing that has to be the way I want to be. Next week, I'll be elected ruler of the universe. Then uh, that will be the case. But not yet. I am Dr. Michael Edelstein, clinical psychologist. I have I've written five books on the subject of rational emotive behavior therapy and uh, emotional problems. And I'm here with my co-host Mick Barry, who uh, has written a number of books and one book on. Uh, rational emotive behavior therapy as a dealing with stage fright, which we uh, co-authored. Mick, did you want to say anything else about yourself or REBT? No, just, uh, I've been using REBT for 36 years, I guess, 37 years. Uh, and I used to have a very bad problem with depression. And by using REBT, I was able to get over my problem with depression. And so I continue to use it and I find, I found that it wasn't just depression that it could help me with, but anxiety and even procrastination and getting things done in my life. So I have a happier, more productive life and I'm a kinder person to other people. At least that's what they say. <laughs> okay, great. And I'm sure you agree with them. Uh, no. <laughs> I have to stay on top of myself. I've got them fooled, and I need to keep fooling them. <laughs> okay, today we're going to be discussing all or nothing thinking. And uh, all or nothing thinking comes from demands, musts, and shoulds. I must make the right choice if I have two job offers, for example. And that could lead to procrastination because I haven't come up with the absolute right choice. Or I must always get to the appointment on time. And that could lead to 
anxiety. Either I get there on time or it doesn't count. And uh, even in washing your car, I must get every single spot off my car uh, or else uh, the car doesn't look good. So those are some examples. And the way to deal with this is to uh, question, challenge, and contradict the must. Now, there is a difference between uh, all or nothing thinking in the form of demands, I must do it all right or else it doesn't count. Uh, but as a preference, I would like to do it all right. It would be great. But if I don't, it's not the end of the world. It doesn't make me a bad person. It just has some disadvantages, sometimes very minor disadvantages or major disadvantages. Mick? Well, I was just wondering, also, it doesn't make the world a bad place if I don't get it all done. I said it doesn't make me a bad person, but one could also easily start thinking, oh, I'm the world is rotten because I didn't get it all done or because I didn't win every game in the football season or whatever it may be. I'm just, I do have a question though about how demands are connected to all or nothing thinking, but I don't want to jump ahead. No, that's, that's fine. Okay. So my experience is it, when people are thinking, and I've observed this for myself in an all or nothing way, there's usually a demand underneath it. And I'm just wondering about the technicality of how that works. How is a demand connected to all or nothing thinking? I could figure this out if you want me to. I could try take a stab at it right now. Uh, well, my view is that uh, demand is uh, associated with all or no nothing thinking because when you think, uh, I have to do it perfectly, I must do it perfectly, then uh, that will lead you to compulsively try to do things either try to do things perfectly or give up. Yeah. So, so that's my view. What were you going to, uh, uh, yeah, that makes sense that I, if I have to do this perfectly or everything must go my way. And if it doesn't, then I no longer can accept life or I no longer can accept myself. So if it all doesn't go my way, then I'm left with nothing, nothing for life, nothing for me. And that would be all or nothing thinking. And like uh, I'm given a performance and I was perfect and it worked out great and I've achieved everything. Yay. Hurrah. Rah, 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 rah. Well, then I've got another performance that if I don't achieve everything, then I'm no good and I'm rotten. I think it was Beverly Sills. Now, I don't and I don't want to misquote her. So it was some opera singer who said that there may have been in the course of her career three or four performances in which she had no complaints about her performance, but all of the others fell short of her goal. However, she had a non-perfectionistic attitude that she wasn't demanding that she had to achieve everything she wanted. And because of that, she had, of course, I don't know if this was Beverly Sills or somebody else, but it was a world famous opera singer. And because she didn't place demands upon it, she was able to have these incredibly high goals, which she said she almost never met maybe three or four times in a 30-year career, she achieved them. Yeah, great, great. And also there's the contrary case of 
Helen Hayes, who always got anxious before she went on stage. And even though her performances were great, uh, she had this uh, idea that unless this one is great, then everything else doesn't count. And and there's a saying, Mick, I think I learned this from you, you you're only as good as your last performance. Um, and I think that's all or nothing thinking in there. Yeah, Mick? Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with you. You're only as good as your last performance. Well, you're really only as good as you develop yourself to perform well, and there's no guarantee that you're going to always perform well. So you're only as good as you, how good you are is kind of undefinable. You get up to a level where you're extraordinarily good at what you do, but how good? Well, some nights you're better than others. Uh, I, I myself just experienced something yesterday. I teach a lot of kids and I put on a drum recital twice a year and I was talking with my sister. Now all the parents were blown away. All the kids were happy. I saw the chinks in the armor and I told my sister, well, I have incredibly high goals and I think I got about 80% there. And my sister said, well, it's better to have high goals, uh, very, very high goals and get 80% there and achieve a whole lot so that you benefit from it so everybody is really happy and everybody is astounded by how well it comes off rather than achieve 100 percent of your mediocre goals uh that really if your goals are mediocre you really wouldn't be achieving a lot oh you could go that way if, if that's what you want to i just find for myself if i have the acceptance of being able to fall short of what i aim to achieve and i have very high aim then I can enjoy myself and go, wow, look how far I came on that. There's an expression, a man's or a person's reach must exceed their grasp. In other words, you reach for something, but you can't quite get there. But if that's what you do and you're able to accept the failure or not achieving what you aim, then you can have a great time and actually have more fun than if you have a very low bar. Yes, and also it's an incentive to reach as far as you can uh, if you want to uh, reach as far as you can, even though um, your your grasp is not that is not perfect or not all or nothing, then that tends to be a motivator. Uh, also, in terms of the other side of the coin, which is unless I do something perfectly or unless I do it all. I'm no good. That's not a reflection on you as a person. It's just a reflection as your behavior. So to say you're only as good as your last performance, you're not either good or bad, depending on your last performance. No matter how you performed, you're just an imperfect human who acts imperfectly, not a worthless person. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've always taken that expression to mean I'm only as good a performer as my last performance. And, the, and even that is not true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think one thing we're getting at here, and this is something, it's very useful to remember some catchphrases to watch our thinking. I think we both agree the concept all or nothing thinking is a counterproductive, self-defeating way to think. And we do not advocate it. We want to work against it. I think you'd agree with that. Well, I'd only agree with that if you have a must on it. I must do uh, this task uh, 
all or otherwise it's nothing. But if you have a preference, then, as I said, that could be a motivator. Mick? But I think in the phrase all or nothing, that contains the demand that I must achieve everything or I've achieved nothing. I think then reducing it down to nothing indicates that there is a demand in there. So I would say the phrase all or nothing thinking contains a demand hidden in there. Okay, very good. Mick, uh, do you have any last words here? Yeah, I, I would. I could even congratulate myself with uh, yesterday when I was talking to my sister, and I said I achieved about 80% of what I aimed to do. That's a good example of non all or nothing thinking. I didn't say I didn't get anything accomplished, nothing worked out. I said, I got about 80% there. That's pretty good. And also, one acting teacher I have who's very brilliant, she'll give people a goal and she'll say, okay, uh, how far do you think you got on that? And someone will say on a scale of one to 10, and she'll, they'll say seven. She'll say, bump it up to nine, 9.99. We never want to say 10, uh, but we bump it up to nine, nine. Now, this is her way of avoiding the demand, I must achieve a 10. You could bump it up to 10, but if you say 9.99, you are including, well, I'm probably not going to achieve a 10, and I can accept that. Okay, great, great. Well, I think we've covered the topic of all or nothing <laughs> thinking and perfectionism. And uh, I wanted to uh, thank you, Chris. I mean, th yeah, thanks, Chris, our tech engineer. Thank you, Mick, for being my very able REBT co-host. And please comment below if you have thoughts. Give us a thumbs up if you gain from this. Suggest subjects you'd like us to cover in the future. Volunteer if you'd like to be on with us and discuss a subject, either about yourself or your client or the theory. And uh, also subscribe to the Three Minute Therapy podcast to do what, Mick? To stay on the rational side of life or whatever else there may be. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Thanks very much.